Friends, it's good to see you this morning. We have uh, 100 or more students and adult leaders that are doing a Harvard Student Weekend off-site this weekend. So there are 100 or more that are worshiping along with us this morning that aren't, aren't here today. A number of years back, um, I came in after the weekend. I approached one of our staff members, and I just simply asked her, how was your weekend? And she said, well, it was, it was okay. It was busy. It was so much to do with the girls that we have and just a busy time, but it was okay. And she said, but there was something that happened that's still bothering me. And I said, well, what was it? And she said, well, I, was, I pulled into the strip center. She, she named it. I was familiar with it. I pulled into the strip center, and every single parking spot was taken. And I was in a rush. I didn't have time. And I waited for more than five minutes. And finally, someone came out of a store. They came to the car. I pulled in place to pull in when they emptied the, when they pulled out. When they pulled out, someone turned into the lot, turned right in front of me, took my space. And then the man got out with this big smile on his face just to rub it in. I said, what a jerk. And then she said, it was you. I did this flashback, and I remembered Saturday I'd gone to that strip center. I thought for a moment longer, and I remembered I, drove, I pulled up, and there was one empty spot, and I felt so good about it, so fortunate. I pulled in the spot, never even saw her waiting for the spot. And so I apologized profusely, and it continued to bother me for a long time, and not because I'd taken the spot. That was an innocent mistake. It's because how arrogant I was to judge the person I did not even know. And there, there's this prideful sense. I heard her story, and I thought, I was, I was judge, jury, and executioner for him. I mean, what a jerk he has to be. And, and this sense of, like, I, I, I am all-knowing. I, I will prescribe who people are. It saved me a long time. I knew there was some pride in that and, and began to wrestle around it. I, I've known for a long time that God has a, a lot of strong things to say about pride and humility. I want to read you just three of them. There are so many more. Proverbs 16, 5, and this pierces deeply. The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. Proverbs 18, 12. Proud people will be ruined, but the humble will be honored. And then New Testament, James 4, 6 through 7. God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. If you were to look up uh, the number of times the word Proud and pride and humble and humility are mentioned over 150 times in Scripture. Each of them equally strong as this. And so this is one thing that I've taken away for a long time, is that God is not ambivalent about pride and humility, is he? And this is a big deal. This is a big deal. But up until about 10 years ago, I was, I was so... I'm not sure if this word translates. I was so mushy about... Does that translate? About what that meant. What does God mean by pride and humility? I could get the boundaries. Like if, if someone felt like they were God's gift to humanity, that was pride. I got that. Like that's above the healthy spot. If someone thought they were worthless, like lower than a worm, that was outside the healthy spot. That wasn't humility. That was somewhere twisted beyond humility. I got that, but, but I was really pretty gray about this really important thing. So I just kind of lived hoping that I was landing in that sweet spot of humility and then hoping that the church that I couldn't teach about this would figure it out for themselves. So, so some time went on, uh, 10 years ago, someone approached me and said, would you please mentor me in humility? And immediately I said, I'm not the one you want. 
Uh, there's, you want somebody else, I can help you find someone, but I'm not the one. And they kept pressing in and I told them what I told you. I'm really mushy on this. And they kept pressing in. And finally, I just said, you know, I, I will say this. I will go look for some content that we might look at. No, I'm making no promises. If I find something, I'll come back and we can go through that together. So I, um, this is a big deal, I know this. So I, I thought Christianity would have a whole lot to say about it. There's a surprisingly small number of writings about this, considering the importance of it. As I was searching through Googling, I, I thought of a book a man gave me a long, long time ago, over 25 years ago. This man gave me a book. It's titled Humility by Andrew Murray. And I, I've learned through the years that people give me books for one of two reasons. <laughs> you know where this is going. They give me a book because I'm interested in the subject. So Marie just gave me a book on um, Texas oil for my birthday. She knew that's an interest of mine. My brother and his wife gave me a book on running. They knew it's an interest. I had never, to my memory, expressed any interest to this man in humility, <laughs> which meant he probably gave it to me for the second reason. That's when I need a book. So go back to Marie's, uh, Marie and my uh, early years of marriage, and there were several times I was gifted for Christmas and birthday books on, on being a handyman. <laughs> and after four or five or six of those, she realized I don't need a book on it. I just need a handyman. <laughs> One I can call and say, come fix this stuff. And so I, I thought this man, who I respected over 25 years ago, now 25 at this point, uh, probably saw something. And so back at the time when he gave me the book, I tried to read it, and I got partway through it, but I couldn't seem to put it together. Not that it felt complex. It felt like he meandered, and like he wrote this in 1895. Like that was right after Jesus you know, died and rose from the dead almost. And so maybe that was it, but I never got too far through the book. I set it down. And so when this friend asked me to mentor him, I pulled the book out one more time. And I pressed in really, really hard, and all of a sudden, the lights began to come on for me. And it, it boils down to this, and I'll give you a little of the scriptural reference, but it boils down to this, is that, that biblical humility is the place of entire dependence upon God. Biblical humility is the place of entire dependence upon God. If I'm living like this moment now with entire dependence upon God, I'm living in humility. If I'm not living entirely dependent, I'm not. I'm living in some sense of pride apart from him. Many scriptures, you can find many of them in his small book. Um, the ones that speak most clearly to me are the ones about Jesus, so I'll give you part of it. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, it's a famous passage about Jesus humbling himself. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. This is big. He humbled himself into obedience to God the Father and died a criminal's death on a cross. He was entirely dependent upon God the Father. And he would speak about this himself. I'll give you two of what could be many verses. In John 5, 19, it says, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. He was saying, I don't do anything apart from the father. I am completely dependent upon the father and what I do. And then John 7, 16, Jesus answered, the things I teach are not my own, but they come from him who sent me. He's saying, whatever I say, I say dependent upon the Father. 
as this model for us, he was, he was showing us what humility truly is. It's this, it's this entire dependence upon God. And then I would say, and this is really important to grasp, that biblical humility then is not a low view of self, but rather an accurate view of self. If you and I are trying to become humble, we don't need to try to get low. We don't need to try to think less and less and less of ourselves. We just need to get this accurate view of ourselves. We are made by God to thrive with entire dependence upon him. That's the life of humility. I'll take you back to some foundational piece in Genesis 1 in the Garden of Eden. God creates Adam and Eve and this perfect place. And for, for some period of time, they live in total dependence upon God. If you've read Genesis 1 and 2, you get a glimpse of that. They are simply in total dependence upon God. It doesn't mean that they're passive. It doesn't mean they're sitting around drinking avocado juice all day or something. And I started to say earlier, I was trying to shape this, like picking, what is it, lint out of their navel? It <laughs> dawned on me, they're the only two people without a navel. You get it? Like they were not born. They didn't have a mother. That's navel. Okay. I shouldn't have even gone there. Okay. Anyway, they weren't picking lint out of a navel that they don't have because God created them. I won't, the second service is going to miss that piece of it because I just, I should have left it where it was at. So they lived in this season of this entire dependence upon God. And then you know this, the day came, they decided to step outside of that dependence. And the moment they did, it wrecked their lives and the world in which they lived. And it brought in sorrow and suffering and death, didn't it? The only thing that changed was they stepped out of entire dependence upon the Father. They stepped out of humility into pride, saying, there's some things we're going to do not being dependent upon you. So I've now through these last, through the last decade, there are three areas that have made the most difference to me from biblical humility. And the first is this, that biblical humility will impact how we see people. It will help us see people through God's eyes. Like we're dependent upon God to show us the person in front of us rather than seeing them through our own eyes. Two weeks ago, I told you a story about being in West Texas and the company I work for moved us from West Texas to Dallas. Uh, told you we looked for a house. It was the first time ever God put this spotlight, said, buy this house. We had this excess, surprising amount of uh, cash surplus that came and uh, we bought this house, we downsized, and then the house fell apart. We spent a ton of money, which matched the surplus we had. And then I told you, we lived there five years, and we think the reason we were there was for this one teenage boy that lived next door in this very broken home. And, uh, and it was, so I began to spend time with him and told him about Jesus much and did a lot of stuff with him for a long, long time. And he had no interest. I mean, if you could have read his face and his eyes, he would have said, I don't give a rip about any of that. I love bowling. I love golf. I love this. I don't give a rip about Jesus. So after a long time, I just quit. And then I told you that the night came, the doorbell rang. It was, just, it was Ross, this young man, ringing the doorbell in tears saying, my father was just murdered before my eyes. Front page, Dallas Morning News next morning. And, he, and then he went back home. And I, I began having this sense, I should tell him again. But I pushed back from it because I knew how resistant he was. The next day I had the sense again and Marie actually said to me, don't you think you should talk to Ross again? And I said, no. And I, I taught her something about Ross. I said, he's a lost cause. 
and, and it was as bad as that just sounded. I told him who he was. I said, he's a lost cause. After all those times, and I, I actually believe, I told her, if I would invite him to come in now and sit down with him and tell him about Jesus and his brokenness and his spirit, he'll pray anything. And I could get him to pray that prayer, but it wouldn't mean anything, really. And if he prays that prayer, he'd be worse off because he might think he knows Jesus. And it was just a vacuous prayer. So I told her that. She told me again later. I said it again. And I think two days had passed and the doorbell rang. It wasn't Ross. It was Carol from our small group. And I invited her in. She stepped into the entryway and I said, come on into the living room. And she said, I, I don't need to go further. This won't take very long. And she said, God told me that he's told you to do something and you're failing to do it. I was staggered. I, after a long pause, I just said, thank you. And she left. <laughs> and I thought, so I have... I have painted Ross as this lost cause. And God sees him as a young man, like one conversation away from trusting Jesus and finding a new life, sins forgiven, change of eternal life, one conversation away. But until that moment, I never stopped and asked God, help me see Ross through your eyes. So I um, called him. We never were in his house ever. We never invited in by his parents. He came over. As I said two weeks ago, I simply told him about Jesus again. And he trusted Jesus, and it was real and authentic and lasting. And he's followed us through the years and called us every few years. Hey, this is Ross. Man, I'm following Jesus with abandon. This is how, how I'm living this out. Biblical humility is intended to impact how we see other people. And apart from me asking and wanting, I'm so prone. I, I will make my own judgments. And sometimes they may be too favorable, sometimes less favorable. But, but what I need to be doing consistently, and this has become more and more the norm because I get it finally, is I need to be saying, God, show me what you see in the person in front of me. Show me how you see this person. Biblical humility will impact how we see people. This entire dependence, God, you know. You know the person before me. Second, biblical humility will impact how we see ourselves. Marie and I have, uh, there's a couple that's mentored us for over 20 years now. They are priceless. They have such wisdom. And by God's grace, such love for us. And many, many years ago, they told this story. It was by uh, Edward Farrell. And I won't get the exact details, but this is what I remember of it that's impacted me so much. They're telling this story about this man, Edward Farrell. And he, he grew up in Scotland and he moved away from to some other, I think to the U.S., I could be wrong, he moved far away. He came back on a visit to see his dad, who was now 80 years old. And he and his dad were walking uh, one of the beaches in Scotland and it was before dawn. They're just walking the beaches just by the moonlight. And they, as they were walking further, at some point, the first light of dawn began to you know, break through the sky. And then all of a sudden, there's this spectacular sunrise, and, and Farrell writes, and he's saying, all of a sudden, my 80-year-old dad, he begins, like, he's this exuberant, begins this exuberant skipping away from me. My 80-year-old dad, arms in the air like this. And I finally caught up with him and said, like, Dad, what was that all about? And he said, me father is very fond of me. Your father is very fond of me, which made him skip with the exuberance of an eight-year-old boy. I've thought about 
how God sees me and sees every one of us who's trusted our lives to Jesus. If you haven't trusted your life to Jesus, I'll tell you what, how he could see you, and I'll tell you how he sees you now. I know this is what he says to me. He says that I am the much-loved and fully forgiven child of the most high God. That's who I am. And I can't tell you the number of days that I, I don't believe that, that I, I play this interior tape that says I'm so frustrated with myself and I messed up again, I failed again, I don't even like myself. How could the perfect God of the universe ever even like me, let alone love me? And when I do that, if I stay there, I, am, I have gone out of being dependent upon God to tell me who I am, to outside of that and, and deciding for myself who I am. And I am so, so wrong. I'm the much-loved, fully forgiven child of the Most High God. And you are too if you follow Jesus. If you don't yet follow him, that's who you could be. Right now, you're the much-loved child of God, but not the forgiven. The sins you bear are still yours, although Jesus actually died for you, for your sins a long, long time ago. To pay the price, rose from the dead, and saying one, one, one ask from you, to say, please, Jesus, lead me and forgive me. Every sin is forgiven. You will be the much-loved and fully forgiven child of the Most High God. You and I need again and again and again to be fully dependent upon God telling us who we are. If we don't, we'll get it wrong every time. It impacts, so this humility impacts how we see other people, how we see ourselves. It will impact how we move throughout the day. I, I love uh, beaches. Are there others of you here? I, I love walking the beaches. I especially, yeah, there, there are more of you than that, I know, but you, your hands are heavy, I know. It's only in the room. We love beaches, and we love them for different reasons. I love, I love basically desolate, empty beaches. The fewer people, the better. There's something about it. It's just how I perceive it. It's this, the, the waves that never end over and over and over, often the power in the waves, and it just reminds me of the, the unending presence of God and the power of God. So I love to walk beaches just, just off the edge of the water there. And this was an off-season time. I was down at Surfside Beach that was down south of here. I was, I was walking up coast from there and just, just having this time connecting with God. And far from the distance, I saw, I could see there was a truck up there, just vaguely noticed. I got closer. I could see that the hood was up. And then a little bit further, I could see there were a couple of men that had come around, they'd be messing under the hood. And then as I got close, I could hear them trying to start it, trying to crank it. And it'd be crank, 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 nothing. And then they'd get under the hood. And I was a long ways off. I walked a long ways. And as I was getting close to them, I, I thought I felt God saying, go fix it. <laughs> and uh, I, knew, I don't have a mechanical thought in my head. And so I thought that wasn't from God. And then it dawned on me what he really meant was what he was saying, like, go pray for them. Like, That'll fix it. And part of me, I laughed and I kept walking, but I kept sensing he was saying that. And I said, uh, you won't fix it. You know, uh, man, I, I've been walking a long ways. They've been walking this a long time. What are the odds? What are the odds? And then I said, look how I look. You, know, you might even look bad, God. <laughs> if someone prays it, you know, I, I'm not going to take that on myself. I'm not going to hurt your reputation. Isn't that sick? Isn't that sick? And so as I got closer, it was almost like this gravitational pull toward that truck. And I forced myself down the beach, and I got just slightly past the truck, and all of a sudden it started. 
And I turned around and looked, and it, I'd walked the distance I would have walked. If I'd walked up to the truck and prayed, it would have started. And God was saying, I, had, I gave you a layup. I mean, you could have experienced you that you could have experienced that I was in this, and they would have experienced. You have no idea the ripples that might have happened, and you didn't take it. And I, oh man, I, I felt so bad about it. I thought here I, at the core, I was afraid of what these people might think of me. People I'd never seen before would probably never see again. And who knows? They might have even appreciated it. That's why I didn't do it. And so I was, I, I told God I was so sorry. Uh, I said, please forgive me, although I know he's already forgiven every sin. Please forgive me. And I said, I don't want to live that way. I, I want to do what you say. I want to follow your leading. And somewhere in that short span of time doing that, uh, all of a sudden there were double rainbows that formed across the sand and across the water. You know, there's one rainbow, another on top of it. I haven't seen a lot in my lifetime. All of a sudden there's two beautiful rainbows. And it's just like God saying, so you don't miss it. I, I love you stunningly. I always have. I always will. I love you stunningly. I love how you've confessed. I love how you've come back. I love how you've said, I just want to follow you. I love that. And, and I, I followed the rainbows as long as they lasted. I walked a long, long ways. And finally they faded. I began the long walk back then down the beach. I got a good ways. And I, I noticed there were a couple of women sitting on the beach. I got a little closer. And I thought, God said, I want you to go give them a message for me. So that's a step up from just praying over a truck. And, but I, sure, I'll give them a message. What do you want me to say? God said, tell them to go and not sin anymore. And literally, I stopped, looked up and down the beach, and said, is there another truck that needs to be started? <laughs> I literally did. And there was no stalled truck. <laughs> but that day, I was going to do anything. Be a fool. So I walked up to them, and they, they looked up as I approached. And then I, when I got up right in front of them, I said, God gave me a message for you. And they looked up like bright eyes and expectant. And one of them said, what has he told you to tell us? And I said, God said to go and don't sin anymore. And I thought about the John 8, Jesus saying that to this woman caught in adultery. I said, go and sin no more. And this one woman, immediately her face fell. And she began to weep. And tears began to fall down her cheeks. And she began to say, I know, I know, I know. And finally, she looked up with these reddened eyes and tear-stained face. And so what do I do? And I paused long enough to see if God wanted me to say more, and he didn't. And I said, he just said, go and don't say anymore. And she said, thank you, thank you. And I walked on down the beach. Someday in heaven, I'll find out what, what that was all about. Someday in heaven, I'll see what happened because of that. This entire dependence upon God can be so profound when it's played out how we walk through the day. It's played out saying to God, will you direct my day? I will navigate all I know, all I can see, but will you navigate my day? Biblical humility can impact how we see people, how we see ourselves, and how we walk through the day. Scripture is where God most often speaks about who we are and who others are and how he wants us to live. That's where he often does that. And you and I will miss most of what he says to us if we don't just immerse ourselves in Scripture with some rhythm, some consistent rhythm. It doesn't have to be more than five or ten minutes a day. It doesn't have to be. Better that it be five minutes rich, really listening as we read, than 50 minutes that's not. 
but we will miss most of what God has to say to us if we don't live a life in Scripture. I just finished going through the Psalms again lately, and there, there are these three verses in Psalm 116 that have just been so rich these last two months. It's Psalm 116, verses 1, 2, and 9. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice in my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down his ear to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. This perspective of God is continually listening and hearing, and he always will be. He bends down to listen to me, and therefore I will pray as long as I have breath, I will pray. And I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. Friends, that's true of every one of us, isn't it? We learn how to best see things through God's eyes to depend upon him as we live in Scripture. Biblical humility, this place of entire dependence upon God. There are three things that I found helpful to ask God consistently. So you might make note of these, or when they're all up on the screen, you might take a picture of the screen. The first is this, is to ask God to show you, or to help, let me put it in different words. I ask him to help me see people the way he sees people. Help me see people the way you see people. Second thing that's so important to me is to say, God, how do you see me? Remind me, tell me again. I may have gotten it twisted since yesterday. Tell me again, how do you see me? And then finally say, will you guide my steps today? Will you guide my steps today? James writes, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Try to live intentionally, moment by moment, with this entire dependence upon the God of the universe. Father in heaven, uh, that is, actually that is so simple to grasp. Not so simple to follow and live, but so simple to grasp. I thank you for the simplicity. It's really not even that hard to remember. Living in dependence upon you, entire dependence. And to be thinking about dependence upon you to show us others and show us ourselves and how to live. And Father, the way the hour is different, walking that way, the way the day is different, the way a week is different, the way a life can be different, Father. Help us believe you in this. Help us believe that we will thrive. Walking this way because you've intended us to thrive. Help us know this is how we'll thrive. Help us trust you. Help us lean in with fresh eyes and fresh heart. Walk humbly before you and with you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.